Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jane Ritter. Good morning, everyone. Again, another wonderful sunny day here in Naples. It finally feels like the warm weather is with us. This morning, I am absolutely delighted to be speaking to Anne-Margaret Smith, Dr. Anne-Margaret Smith. She is a teacher, a trainer, a dyslexia assessor and author. Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jay Ritter on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. As I'm waiting for Anne-Margaret to join us, I just thought we'd reflect on what today is. Here in Italy, it is actually the it's International Design Day, as in drawing and design, which is something that I have a lot of interest in, but are still finding little ways to, to get involved in it. How about you? Are you taking uh, starting any new hobbies <laughs> at the moment? As I said in my introduction, this morning, I will be speaking to Dr. Anne-Margaret Smith. She started teaching English as a foreign language about 30 years ago. She is a dyslexia assessor and a specialist tutor and has designed an assessment tool which helps us to identify um, specific learning difficulties in multilingual learners. I'm really looking forward to, to talking with her. Um, she's just making her way into the studio as we speak. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. 
If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Wales... Head teachers are optimistic that the new term beginning on Monday will be the most normal since 2019. School visits, leavers events, sports days, awards, fairs and shows are running for the first time since the pandemic began. New schools advice is due to be issued on Friday, May the 6th. Teaching unions, however, have warned that it is not business as usual and there is still a high risk of COVID disruption. Teaching Union, UCAC, summed up mixed feelings, saying, Hopefully, with the weather improving, there will be more opportunities for schools to plan extracurricular activities. However, only time will tell if the infections will rise or not after the Easter break. Karen Brown head teacher of Millbank Primary School in Cardiff, said, We are not so worried about COVID now, but there were still plenty of cases last term, so we are continuing with good ventilation and hygiene. We are looking forward to things like sports days again. Our plan is to invite parents to that and to our first Year 6 Leaver service for two years. We started trips last term, and years five and six had an amazing time at Story Arms. We couldn't do that in the last two years. According to new research by the National Literacy Trust, parents spent less time reading, chatting and playing with their children during the pandemic. The Trust surveyed more than 1,500 parents with children under five. Overall, the report found that fewer parents of young children engaged in home learning activities, reading, chatting, playing, singing or painting and drawing, in 2021 compared with 2019, despite spending more time in their home with their child due to the pandemic. Spokesperson Alison Tebbs said, It was such a difficult time for people. There was less support for families. There was less socialisation happening and beneficial activities like going to the park or library were often unable to take place. Reading with children and having conversations is vital for helping their brains develop. One of the reasons two-year-olds act out is because they're trying to communicate feelings which they can't explain verbally. That's why you get tantrums. The more words they have, 
and the more support they get when they communicate, the more in touch they will be with their emotions and with the wider world. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this term is known to be one of the hardest. When we're distracted and tired, it's easy to make a mistake and fall for a scam. There are loads of scams out there, but the use of subdomains to give a fake sense of security is one scam that a lot of people fall for. In the interest of keeping you, your family and your friends safe over the next two episodes, I'm going to explain the fake bank message scam and how it can look so believable. First up, we need to discuss how data travels over the internet. If you explore an internet address, let's take Teachers Talk Radio as our example, https www.ttradio.org. There are basically four parts. HTTPS, this is Hypertext Transfer Protocol, with the S standing for secure. Protocols are used for data transfer. The HTTP protocol allows the transmission of HTML or hypertext markup language from a web server to your computer. In basic terms, it lets a web page be requested and viewed. The confusion here is the secure version. Some believe that seeing a site is HTTPS and has a little padlock in the address bar means that you are protected. To some extent, this is true. However, the security certificate for a site simply encrypts or scrambles the transmission. So if it's intercepted, it can't be used. So yes, you are secure from interception but if the owner of a website is dishonest, you're not safe from them. The next three parts are to do with where the web page resides or the address. Like we need a postcode and house number, your computer needs to know where to look for the information you want. WWW is the World Wide Web, a huge network of interconnected networks. TT Radio is the name of the website and .org is the top level domain. Again, simplifying this, .org domains are kept in a kind of phone book that can be accessed by your internet service provider. So to find ttradio.org, .org tells you to look in the .org phone book for TT Radio and return where the website is for your browser to download it. Why don't you ask your pupils, family and friends what they believe the padlock and HTTPS means? You may be surprised at the answer you receive. Next time, we're going to look at how criminals use this misconception to gain your trust. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, I'm I'm back now, and I'm just trying to get uh, Margaret into the studio. I'm sure she'll be with us in just a second. Um, in the meantime, I'm going to invite my friend Peter Fulliger. Peter, are you there? Hello. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. This is rather unexpected, isn't it? Oh, it's always nice to catch up with you, though. Um, wonderful to have you here. Um, I think I can see Harry. Good morning, Harry. Would you like to Hello, join us to have a Harry. quick chat? Um, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm, I am really looking forward to talking to Anne-Margaret. Um, but I do think Absolutely. of you. I was thinking of you in preparation for this um, because I'm always oh. so worried, particularly with, with um, you are a speaker, but where are you, Anne-Margaret? <laughs> See, you accepted it. Um, I'm always so worried about terminology. Mm. Um, what's your take on terminology 
with specific learning difficulties? I know you're a bit I of an expert on this. Well, I, I know that Anne-Margaret is, is much more of an expert than I am. But um, for me, it's certainly a learning experience. It's a learning curve mm. because I think that um, terminology, as we know, as, as language teachers and language learners, terminology changes um, throughout time. Things become um, accepted. Things become not accepted. And so I, I, I personally struggle with knowing which is the best terminology to use and so i kind of find myself looking at um charity websites um and um kind of official organizations so that i can see what terminology they use mm -hmm. um so that i can use the the same terminology and in that way i know that it's it's kind of safe terminology yeah does that does that kind of make sense it does yeah but mm. i'm always i mean i remember i was replying to a post recently um and i know for example uh, with hearing i know it's mm -hmm. not it's is it a hearing difficulty is it a hearing impairment there she is <laughs> maybe and margaret can help us yeah. out with this <laughs> with some terminology <laughs> you're here wonderful <laughs> oh we made it good Sorry about that. Well, I could hear what Peter was saying, and I do agree with him. Terminology Yay. ebbs and flows, and things that we thought were acceptable years ago are no longer really as acceptable. Mm. Uh, and um, I think the best thing is to listen to the voices of the people about whom we're talking. Yeah. Um, so currently the term neurodiverse is quite widely used, and that came from the autistic community. So... Um, I think that's that's where we have to take our lead from, really. Indeed. Super. Now that Anne Margaret's here, I'm going to leave you to it. Oh, it's nice to meet you, though, Peter. I'm so glad you're here, Peter. And <laughs> if you feel like adding to the conversation, please <laughs> come back in and join us. Thank you so much for saving no me. No problem. No problem. I'll always lovely to chat. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Um, and Margaret, good morning. Lovely to have you here. Well, <laughs> it's lovely to be heard. I've been here saying hello, hello. <laughs> anyway, I am here now. Hopefully you can hear me. So Definitely. And um, I'm sure our listeners, we've given them quite a lot of suspense and build up. Um, and so I'm sure now they would just love to hear um, that is probably, I, um, as I said, I'm very curious about your journey, about um, how you started. I know you, when we talked about the, the radio show, um, curiosity is the thing that drives you. Yeah. And that's why we've called the program Curiouser and Curiouser. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about why you are curious and well, where it's taken you? Yeah, um, I've always been curious. I've always just wanted to know how things work. And if things don't work, I've always wanted to know why they don't work and how we could make them work better. Um, in terms of my TEFL journey, I've always been interested in language. And I think because I'm the youngest of four, when my older siblings started learning other languages at school, I was really kind of curious to think, 
people in other countries speak differently from us. So that, that sort of sparked my curiosity about language and how languages work. So no surprise really that I went to university and studied linguistics. Right. Um, and whilst I was at university, I had the opportunity to go and spend a year in Kenya, where, of course, there are many, many languages in, in daily use. And that was really, really fascinating for me. Um, and it kind of set me on the TEFL route because I was asked to help out in a primary school whilst I was there teaching English. Um, so when I finished my degree, that's that's what I kind of fell into. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not... Um, <laughs> I'm not disappointed that I did because I've had so many opportunities. But quite soon in my um, teaching career, I realized that there were some learners who were not learning in the way that I had been told they would on my on my TEFL training course. Of course. <laughs> yes. um, there's not, uh, there is some improvement, but <laughs> not a yeah. lot of provision. Yeah, yeah. So then I, I kind of realized that there was so much more I needed to know. For example, when I was in Sweden, I was I was teaching adults in Sweden and some of my students actually um, couldn't read or write in Swedish. And I just wondered how that could be. If they've been through the education system in Sweden and come out the other end not being able to read and write in their own language. So then I wanted to find out more about literacy development and um, how it could be that the education system doesn't work for everybody. And that's how I came across dyslexia and other forms of neurodiversity. And um, yeah, then I started sort of trying to bring that into TEFL as well. Yeah. And I think you've collaborated with a lot of projects. I, um, I remember when I was at the British Council, um, there was Phil Dexter. And, and I'm not sure if you worked on that or helped him to develop the course or worked with him on the course. But I remember it sort of become, yeah. being a bit of a revelation. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't work with Phil on that course, but, of course, Phil was with us when we set up the IATFL Special Interest Group. Okay. He was a, a founder member of that, yeah. Wonderful. Um, and then you went on to, to build ELT Well. Can you tell us a little bit about what ELT Well does? Yeah, so um, as I so I came back to Britain to study more and found out about uh, here and became a dyslexia assessor and a specialist tutor. And I was working in further education, uh, still with adults in mm. further education. And um, I realised that there was a big gap between the TEFL world and the dyslexia world. And I wanted a way of sort of bridging that gap. So I set up... ELT Well, um, which is really just a vehicle for um, disseminating information, sharing resources, providing training and CPD for teachers in order to bring those two fields together. Because um, I felt there was a lot of good practice in both fields. Obviously, dyslexia specialists know about the sort of root cause of why people uh, may learn in a different way. But I think TEFL teachers intuitively try to include everybody in their classrooms. I agree um, with that. Yeah. That's, that's always been my experience, because you don't really have a choice of who's in your class, who turns up in your class, but you do need to take them with you. So my perception was that TEFL was 
really quite intuitively inclusive, but that the field of dyslexia was kind of more explicitly inclusive. And I just wanted to share the good practice across both fields, really. So that's why I set up ELT Well, and it's been going now for 18 years. Wow. <laughs> Keeping wow. busy. Mm. And yeah. you, you do, um, there, there, there are lots of resources that we can, you can access from ELT Well, but you also um, do courses. Um, Yes, I do. And, and, <laughs> um, and assessments. And um, I believe um, your, one, of your, um, one of your resources has had a, um, a big impact in Wales. Oh, yes. <laughs> Could you just, I mean, it, um, it, it's interesting that we've sort of got, we've, we're talking about ELT International, but um, the resources that you develop are actually also being um, a adopted adapt, adopted um in wales can you tell me a little bit about that because i found that that fascinating and um yeah. well when i came back to the uk i was teaching in fe and i was teaching esol which is um english for people who have arrived in the uk want to settle in the uk but need to develop their english proficiency in order to you know to get the jobs that they that they want and so on and you know to take part in society more fully so i was teaching esol and I realized that none of our ESOL teachers, sorry, none of our ESOL learners were being assessed for dyslexia. Um, and in the college where I was working, I was also on the assessment team, the dyslexia assessment team, as well as in the ESOL team. So I could see that there were lots of students from other courses being assessed and given extra time in their exams, but no ESOL learners were being assessed. And the reason was that we just didn't have the tools that we needed all of the dyslexia assessment tools are based on the expectation that the person has grown up in an English-speaking environment, knows the language very, very well, and also has quite a lot of cultural background knowledge, which, of course, our ESOL learners, particularly the ones that are newly arrived, just don't. So I just thought this was really unfair. <laughs> and, um, well, particularly as one or two of my students, those that had come from Poland, for example, had been assessed in their own countries. And so they did um, get access arrangements for their exams, but none of the others could. So I set about putting together some assessment tools that we could use, and I called it Cognitive Assessments for Multilingual Learners. Mm -hmm. uh, I have to say that the acronym came first, the CAMEL, and then <laughs> <laughs> I kind of built the title around that. It's nice to have something easy to remember. So we've got the CAMEL now. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is very, very useful um, in this country and in other countries where there are many multilingual people for determining what the, what the barriers to learning might be and if they might have dyslexia or another specific learning difference. Uh, I started with the adult camel because that was my teaching context, but then a lot of schools got in touch to ask if they could use it. So I produced a, a young learner's version wow. and the... Um, the, the local council in Swansea have just asked me to provide every, I think it's pretty much every primary school in their authority with a camel so that they can assess their EAL children, their EAL learners, mm -hmm. and see if they have any learning difficulties which we may be able to to accommodate and to um, to remove those barriers for them. Yeah. So Finally. That, that was, uh, yeah, a really nice... Um, 
email to get that they wanted yeah like 60 odd camels and a whole day training we're doing a whole day training tomorrow so that all the all the um teachers that have got the camel can join us on zoom and we can go through it and sort of talk about how to make the most of it and how to use it in their in their context it's a wonderful achievement it's also um very very useful i know i know sort of from my experience here in italy as an English teacher with Italian learners, mm. because of the difference in language, we sometimes notice it earlier with the second language, yeah. but we're not, um, we're not actually authorized in any way to identify that. We can simply flag it up with yeah. parents um, or department mm. and they can investigate it. But the, the sort of EFL teacher doesn't seem to have that um, authority, so to speak. Yeah, but the camel, I designed the camel so that teachers could use it. I mean, there's there's quite a lot of sort of gatekeeping in the world of dyslexia. So you have to be a fully qualified assessor in order to make a formal diagnosis. Exactly. And, yeah. and that's fair enough. But it's quite hard sometimes to persuade assessors to come and see our multilingual learners because they'll just say, oh, well, you know, they just need to learn a bit more English. Well, <laughs> you know they're probably not going to unless we address their, their barriers and we need to find out what they are so i designed the camel so that teachers could pick it up and mm. at least make a start you know you can you can start to look into the background of the learner you can start to see what they could do um, in terms of memory or speed of processing if english isn't part of the equation so from that point of view it's um, a really good starting point for teachers um, because you don't have to be a qualified assessor. All the instructions are in the booklet, mm -hmm. um, and it comes with um, videos that you can watch to to uh, to find out how to use it and how to make the most of it. How wonderful. Yeah, so that's something that any teacher could pick up and start using, just to find out a bit more about the learner and see, you know, even if it's not dyslexia, maybe visual memory is better than auditory memory, you know, just to find out more about how they learn. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Incredible, and you also have um, you also have another course. <laughs> You've got there, we have there's the camel, and then there is another course, um, which I believe um, I thought yeah beautiful. yeah. So I've got the two um, two online courses which are available from the ELT Well website are the so the assessing multilingual learners and then understanding neurodiversity, um, which is a kind of supported self-study course um, which runs twice a year a little cohort get together so you've got support from peers as well and it's basically having a look at different specific learning differences um, and neurodiversity generally how it impacts on language learning and then what teachers could do to support those learners um, if it's you know if they are identified as being neurodivergent what teachers could do in the classroom in practical terms to to make teaching more accessible really yeah incredible um as in your sort of your career journey um were there any resources or perhaps advice that you have had that has really helped you on your career apart from your curiosity <laughs> yeah I mean that, that was the thing that I was always looking 
to see what other people had done. And when I first started um, in the noughties, there really wasn't very much about. Um, there were just one or two books around. And so basically it was a case of synthesizing what I'd learnt doing my dyslexia training and what I knew about language teaching and just trying to synthesize it together uh, and pull out the best bits of, of both, really. Um, there was one woman who really influenced me a lot, and that's Margaret Crombie, who was a modern foreign language teacher who mm -hmm. um, produced a really useful book for teaching dyslexic learners, but she was more in sort of French and Spanish and German um, language classrooms. But the work that she did was really helpful for me, yeah. So shout out to Margaret Crombie, because she really set the ball rolling there. <laughs> um, and yes, it's a ball that needs to keep rolling, I think, yeah. um, particularly with newly trained teachers. I know when you embark on a, um, on a career, um, there, you, you can't fit everything into a month pre-service, um, but I do feel, I, I'm so, I come from a completely different background, but I know recently with, um, with ex a group of examiners, um, they quite rightly complained that they didn't really feel that the training that they had had um, helped them in any way to assess candidates with um, specific learning differences. <laughs> Yeah. That's, that's actually what um, I did my PhD on because I just I couldn't quite understand why it was that EFL teachers didn't have that training and yet we seem to be quite an inclusive bunch but there was mm. nothing in our training that prepared us for that that was the conclusion of my PhD research that um, it's more kind of an ethos rather than any specific information that we're given I think so too I remember many many years ago I, I embarked on this dyslexia action and I, I got through a couple of models but I was inspired by um, an EFL teacher who had gone back to the UK and done something similar and she felt she said she was a really felt she was a really good teacher but all she was doing was <laughs> EFL <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think you know we're quite a creative bunch as well um, and yeah I think that that's definitely a hallmark of sort of um, EFL EAL and ESOL that, that we sometimes have to be quite innovative and creative in order to fit the context um, that, you know, that we might find ourselves in because every group is different. Mm. So, yeah, and I think that's really, really useful when you're working with neurodivergent students to be able to adapt. You know, so you do need that creativity. You need that ability to think on your feet. Mm -hmm. Think, you know, well, gosh, this isn't working. How do I how do I make this more accessible? True. Yeah, I think we are quite good. You getting back to assessments. Um, I know that your assessments have have in fact helped a lot of learners that may have had difficulty, for example, with um, their visas or their. Um, could you just could you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think it's an important point to. Yeah, I will. It's to something make. that I feel very very strongly about. Um, Working with ESOL learners, they are people who have come to this country for many different reasons, but all of them just want to live a decent life and contribute to our communities, and you know, they want to, to play their part. The rules in the UK uh, about obtaining indefinite leave to remain is that you have to reach a certain level of English and you have to pass a test called knowledge of life in the UK, which 
I mean, to be honest with you, many people who have grown up in the UK would not pass. <laughs> it's very strange questions that they ask about, you know, how many, how many players on a rugby league team, you know, it's like, oh, really? You don't need that to be a, a fruitful, a, a productive member of society. Yeah. What I found was that a lot of my ESOL learners were trying this test and actually paying money again and again and again and not passing because they were finding it so hard to reach the required level and also very difficult to retain the huge amount of historical and cultural uh, knowledge that they were expected to to memorize. They just couldn't. And yeah. um, they were the ones that we thought may have a specific learning difference, which might be affecting their, their memory capacity. Um, so yeah, so in some cases, when I've assessed them and I've written up a report saying uh, it, this is not realistic for this person in this time scale because you, you, you do have a, a limited time scale in which to make your, your visa application. Um, we've managed to arrange for students to get a waiver on the basis that their um, cognitive profile is such that we suspect there is a specific learning difference and it's therefore you know, it's not realistic. Um, it's quite discriminatory to expect them to jump through these hoops. Mm. We have had some success. I'm very pleased to say that um, we've managed to allow people to remain with their families in their jobs in this country um, without having to go through the, the absolute torment of um, the, 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 what the system sets up for them, basically, yeah. And could it sort of sounds a bit like they're actually being set up. Or some people might say setting them up to either take the test again. <laughs> yes, and therefore pay more money. Yes. Or pay more money. Um, or um, I'm, I'm obviously, as you know, I'm, I'm Australian. There's a, there's a sort of heart-wrenching case in, in Australia at the moment that's been going on for years um, about a Tamil family and one of their children <laughs> can't be with them um, and uh, I think they I, I hope <laughs> it will be resolved very soon but um, you know, families make big sacrifices yeah. and to have that added stress um, is yeah. great and I'm, I'm, I think it's wonderful that that you are able to or you are in a position to alleviate that you know yeah i mean it's something that i feel i can play a small role for a few individuals but it's it makes me feel good every time i do it mm -hmm. <laughs> because i just i really feel very strongly that the immigration system in this country is so unjust um and you know as i say i work with esol learners but i'm also married to the son of a uh, an immigrant and um, I just think, you know, if my mother, because my mother-in-law came when she was seven and she spoke no English. And I just think if she and her family had had to jump through these hoops, you know, they wouldn't, they probably wouldn't have made it. And there's just no reason. There's just mm. no reason for it. So, yeah, it's something that's very close to my heart. And uh, I do like to just disrupt the system whenever I can. <laughs> In limited and specific ways. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Let's move on to something else that you have you hold near and dear, and that is music. <laughs> yes. Um, 
we talked about using music in the EFL, ESO, EAL classroom, um, but not just using it as a song. Could you tell me your thoughts um, on this? (laughs) I am um, a passionate advocate for the use of music in language teaching. And I know that a lot of people do use songs and it's great. And, you know, there's a reason why there are loads of resources out there that you can get songs and you can get lyrics and you can make gap fills and all of that. And that's brilliant. But when you think about the reasons why it works, you realize that there are so many more applications. So music has the power to change our mood. It can it can lift our mood um, or it can calm us down if we've got students who perhaps, you know, the, the mood in the class is perhaps a little too excited. <laughs> we can just calm things down with music. Um, the areas of the brain where we process music are very similar to the areas of the brain where we process language. So it's a great way in. It's a great way to stimulate those language areas in a way that is less daunting, perhaps, for students who find language learning challenging. Because, you know, they're probably very used to listening to music. Mm. And I was working with an old friend of mine who's now a community musician, and I heard him talking to somebody about the elements of music and as he was listing off the elements of music i was thinking that is phonology he was talking about volume mm-hmm. tempo pitch change you know and all of these things we need actually in order to produce uh, fluent speech which is comprehensible to other people so if people talk too quickly or too slowly too loud too quietly it's going to change the message that they put across And if they don't understand pitch change and the role that it has in English, um, the message that they put across might be quite uh, distorted. It might not be what they meant to say. Yeah. Um, Because it's not, language is not just about learning the the words and the grammar. It's about how you say things. So all the pragmatics is bound up with tempo, volume, pitch change, um, stress, and rhythm that you know that's all part of the way that we say things not just what we say but how we how we articulate that so language is music in yes a sense. it is it is <laughs> so breaking it down into um individual elements and working for example working for a little bit on pitch change and how we can change a sentence just by um changing the pitch of one word at a time things like that help students to realize that actually they have a lot more uh, resources available to them than they perhaps imagined. Even with limited vocabulary, mm. they can put a lot of different messages across. So yeah, I'm a re- I'm a really um, keen user of musical activities in the classroom. Songs are great, but there are all sorts of other things that we can do. And um, with my community musician friend Matthew Evans, we put together. Uh, a little booklet called Language Learning and Musical Activities. Uh, and of course, <laughs> the acronym came first. So that's the LAMA. <laughs> so we that's have a the... Now we have a LAMA. <laughs> oh dear, is, is Harry still there? He was imagining <laughs> he was imagining a room full of camels. Harry? Yeah, yeah. A room yeah. full of camels and llamas. Now we have llamas, yeah, yeah. And people keep asking me, when is the alpaca coming out? And I'm yeah, like, well, I was I just about to say that. I have to work out what that stands for first, and then, and then we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
so so the resources are all there um available from the elt well website and the idea you don't have to be a musician because everything is provided i'm not a musician but fortunately my friend matthew is and so he provided all the musical bits and bobs that you need and it's all there provided with the activities so it's really easy to use if you want to bring music into your classroom which i would highly recommend i have to say <laughs> yep. for for numerous reasons not i mean yeah. language yeah, for, but also for everybody and not just for neurodivergent learners but for everybody yeah um totally get that <laughs> yeah it's wonderful and it's wonderful that it's just there for um for you to to pick up <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, as easy as possible for teachers to use it yeah okay um let's keep moving on in in terms of the future i know you are <laughs> oh dear me i don't know if you can see this comment in the chat and margaret um but harry waters has said um he's just given you the alpaca, the alpaca. Acronym. acronym. Ah, all learners plan acronyms continuously, always. <laughs> oh no, that's be the change. Is that? Is that Harry? That's Harry. That's Harry. Yeah. Uh, all learners plan acronyms continuously, always. Yeah. <laughs> I'll work on that, Harry. Yeah, I'll see what I can come up with. It needs work. Yeah, it does need work, but it's a, it's a good start. Um, and Margaret, you are are. You work and you are also studying. Could you <laughs> tell us? Because you're, as, you, as we mentioned at the beginning, um, your continuous curiosity um, yes. <laughs> keeps you going. And you're now studying to become a speech and language therapist. Could you tell us a little bit about that and the experience? Yeah. So what I discovered um, working in different countries across Europe was that actually in many countries it's the speech and language therapists who identify and support learners with dyslexia um, and that's different from the UK mm. but sometimes when I've been asked to go to schools or colleges and do an assessment of a multilingual learner they've said to me do you think they also have speech and language issues and I've had to say I don't know, because I'm not a speech and language therapist. <laughs> but I started reading about um, different forms of speech, language and communication needs. And I discovered that actually there's a huge overlap between developmental language disorder and the um, specific learning differences that I'm more familiar with. And I have to say, originally, when I first went to university to study linguistics, I did have in the back of my mind that I might do speech and language therapy. But because I went to Kenya for my year away and kind of slipped into English teaching, I went down the path instead. And then when the lockdown meant that all of my work stopped, so in 2020, everything stopped for me. I couldn't do any dyslexia assessments. Um, I couldn't do the teacher training I was doing face-to-face. -face. I couldn't do the the one-to-one um, -one support I was doing with dyslexic learners. I had a big rethink, and I think a lot of people probably did as well. Mm. And I thought to myself, what is it that I've always wanted to do? Um, and I decided to find a course to be a speech and language therapist. Now, it so happened that the university um, just down the road from me started a new course at the beginning of last year. 
destination. So I said, yeah, exactly. It's like it's it's literally a half half an hour drive to this university. There aren't many universities in the UK that that do speech and language therapy. Um, so I was looking at like a you know at least an hour commute. But because UCLan in Preston started it last year, I thought, well, I will hop on this course. So I did my first year last year and I absolutely loved it. It's really intense. It's, it's full-time um, MSc program and it's two years in total. So I've done the first year and um, I absolutely loved it. And it answered so many questions for me about, you know, what is the overlap between development language disorder and dyslexia and how do we tell them apart? And um, what are the other things that could be going on? And also a lot about first language acquisition, which, I hadn't really been aware of because I studied a lot of second language acquisition, <laughs> not so much first language acquisition. That was really, really fascinating. So it's been absolutely great. And I can't wait to do the second year. I'll be starting studying again next January for the second year. And I'm really excited. And because I've had this little break, I've had time to think about how we might bridge the gap between EFL and speech and language therapy. <laughs> Again, looking at what the what the good practice is in both fields and where the overlaps are and what EFL teachers might need to know from the point of view of speech and language therapy. So, yeah, it's really exciting. That's opening up a minefield as well. Obviously, when we're looking at first language acquisition, mm. um, I'm just thinking of all the languages that there are to consider and the different the things that we develop um, in first languages mm. um, and I think I was lucky uh, I learnt Italian as a very young child and so I can physically roll my R's but not everyone can yeah. um, when yeah. they learn Italian um, no, I'm, I'm, right. there are some things that you need to get early on <laughs> <laughs> otherwise it's going to be a lot harder so yeah but not impossible not impossible, no, no. <laughs> but you need the right kind of teaching, I think. As you get older, you, you perhaps need um, different ways of learning, different different forms of teaching, and it's it's just finding the right way of learning for you, I think, whatever it is that, um, that you want to learn, and find the right teacher as well that can support you. Yes, <laughs> that's, uh, that's um, well... I think so. Um, what do you wish you'd known when you started your curious journey? When I when I first started teaching English, in general, um, I think I um, well, that's a really difficult one. <laughs> I think obviously I wish I had known that not everybody learned in the same way. That's something that I figured out and, and obviously went and found more information about. Um, I wish I had known that you could study um, study one thing and then study another thing. Because <laughs> I think when I, was, when I was 18, I was kind of like, you've got to make a decision and this is the route you're going down. You know, and I, I see that in my in my nieces and nephews as well when they're making decisions about what to study. It's like, this is the path I'm taking for the rest of my life. And I wish somebody had said to me, but it may not be, you know, you can start down this path and then if you want to transfer and do something else, you can. You don't have to wait till you're in your 50s and have a 
a pandemic to exactly <laughs> to I was just thinking that yeah <laughs> I think the pandemic has been um you know, there are positive things that have come out of the pandemic and it for me um <laughs> for me it is yeah that you can you can actually you can change you can do different things and if yeah. you don't like doing that then you can always go and do something else <laughs> yeah I think that's really important and I think that's something I would like um young people to to know and teachers setting out on on the path they maybe setting up on the TEFL path to know mm. that actually there are so many opportunities that TEFL will take you to there are so many ways of branching out from from teaching English definitely it's just a case of exploring and asking about because people like to talk about um their work I mean I'm having a lovely time right now talking about my work and people <laughs> do like to talk about their work so just ask them you know how did you get into materials development how did you get into assessment writing you know whatever it is that you fancy of all the things that you do what do you like doing best <laughs> do you know when people ask me what I do I always say I'm an English language teacher because that is what I love doing best you know I I enjoy everything I enjoy doing dyslexia assessments and um, I do enjoy the teacher training and designing material I love all of that but when I'm sitting with a student and working what it is that they need to work on that's when I feel you know happiest really and feel that I'm having the biggest impact perhaps on somebody's life it's just spending that time with them one-to-one -one, talking through what they you know, what they understand and, and what they want to develop further. So, yeah, so in my heart of hearts, I think I'm still an English language teacher. Once an English language teacher, always an English language teacher. <laughs> I, 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 I can totally relate to that. That's one of the, I, I do a few hours at the university. I have a lot of students, um, but every now and then, uh, this morning, because there was a special person visiting the university I gave my students the option <laughs> to have a lesson with me or if they wanted to go and listen to uh, uh, the visitor I wouldn't you know be in any way offended and <laughs> a couple of them just came into the class and said no we want to talk to you <laughs> and we thought we'd have more of a conversation <laughs> with you <laughs> because um, and it was nice it was yeah those relationships that you build, particularly if you're working with adult learners, mm -hmm. those relationships can last a long time. I'm still friends with one of my first students. Um, shortly after I qualified, I went to Berlin to teach. I'm still friends with people there. Yeah. Students that I taught. And also in Sweden and in Kenya. And, you know, everywhere I've taught, I've made friends that friendships have lasted for years and years. And I think that's one of the joys of teaching adults, particularly that you're, you know, it, it's less of, you're less of an authoritarian figure <laughs> and much more of a guide, you know, and, yeah. and uh, you sort of learn from each other as well, which is lovely. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm thinking about my, my first student um, when I came to Italy a long time ago. He's still my friend. <laughs> it's, um, it is, yeah, wonderful. Let me ask you some silly questions. Okay. What's your favourite word, Margaret? My favourite word? Mm. Serendipity. I, I why? Love I love what it means. 
I love the, the sort of idea of um, chance happenings, just changing your life. And that's happened to me so many times that just random conversations or random meetings have just changed things for me completely. So I just love that idea that there's just around the next corner, there is an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could be a language learning theory, what would you be? If I could be a language learning theory? Mm. Oh, well, I, <laughs> um, maybe Suggestopedia. <laughs> Could you a comfy sofa and you know <laughs> music and yeah, dim lights. I quite like quite like a bit of that. I remember, <laughs> I remember reading about that. I thought it is wonderful. And I know, for example, in in South in Southeast Asia, they are almost sort of re reinventing it. Um, mm. For example, they have very sort of luxurious classrooms in big shopping centers with very comfy chairs and, and um, students pay a premium price to have those lessons or they can have group lessons so um, right. the, the theory is still in practice yeah. and I think you know it does tie in with the idea of taking the stress out of language learning you know feeling, feeling comfortable yeah yeah and I think for um, when I think about my neurodiverse classes you know, there's quite a lot of stress for some of those learners. And if you can reduce the stress in any way, I think that's got to be a good thing. Um, if you could switch lives with someone for a day, who would you choose? Oh, <laughs> switch lives with somebody. Just for a day. <laughs> Just for a day. Uh, then I think probably I would have to say my husband. Um, I think it would be really interesting to to see um, our life from his point of view because um, I think we've got a great life and I just wonder sometimes if he agrees. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it would be really interesting to see how our household functions from his point of view. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. That is interesting. And if you could be a superhero, who would you be? Um, if I could be a superhero, I don't know. Or have is a super, there... have a superpower, perhaps. Yeah, I was going to say, is there is there a language lady? I don't know. Um, <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Patented. Um. Yeah. Gosh, I don't. I, I'm not very well up on superheroes. To be, to be fair. Um, yeah, I think I would have to go down some kind of, some kind of polyglot route. Yeah. So your superpower would be multilingual? Yeah, or yeah being, being able to understand every language. Like, like having a, a babel fish constantly in your ear that you can always understand what people are saying. Yeah. There you go. You could almost develop a film or a cartoon series on that. <laughs> if you're if you're feeling curious and you want to go on and do something more. Yeah, listen, now that's, that's the whole of my afternoon blown now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> now, Margaret, it has been so lovely talking to you. Um, for our listeners, if they want to... Oh, Peter... Oh, Peter Fuller is fantastic, isn't he? He's come up with Super Language Lady. 
There you are, Anne Margaret. Oh, That's you. your new title, and yeah. and that it will become <laughs> your new cartoon. <laughs> That's great. Or, that's that's given me a starting point. I or novel. Yeah, yeah. I want to think about that one, Peter. Yeah, I'm I'm not so sure about the um the wearing tights thing. Um, <laughs> I need a, a more demure costume than many superheroes have. But um, yeah, something to think about. There you go. Um, to just to um to round up, um, and Margaret, if our listeners would like to get in touch with you. Um, the website is eltwell.com. That's right, yeah. E-L-T-W-E-L-L.com. E-L-T-W-E-L-L.com. And from and there you can find a, a wealth of resources to support learners, um, to support teachers, and um, to learn more about the very curious Anne Margaret Smith. <laughs> Yeah, and if any of the any of the listeners want to get in touch, I'd be delighted to help them with any queries or questions they've got. If they can't find what they're looking for on the website, um, my email address is there. They're, they're welcome to contact me that way as well. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to help if I can. Thank you so much. Um, thank, well, thank you, you everyone, for listening. Thank you, Peter, for 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 joining me at the start. It's always lovely to see you, Harry. Seema, <laughs> lovely to see you all. Thank you again, Anne-Margaret, and um, I look forward to, to chatting with you later when, um, when, you've, when you've finished um, to see what further conclusions you've made <laughs> as a speech and language therapist yeah. and, the, and the overlap. That we, it, just, it sounds fascinating, um, but yeah, I think yeah. you're right. There is a lot there. Um, right. Thank you, Jane. Thank you. Um, thank you, everyone. Um, next week, we're going to be continuing. Um, and Margaret was the, um, for Ipsen, Ipsen Singh, you, you founded it and built I it for IELTEFL. I was part of the founding group that group. set up inclusive practices and SEN SIG for IELTEFL, yeah. Yeah. And next week, I'm actually talking to Giovanni Licata, who will tell us a little bit more about how it, what it is and how it's developing. Um, so thank you, everyone, for listening, and I will see you same time next week. Thanks, Anne-Margaret. Bye, Peter. Bye, Harry. Bye, Seema. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.